So the point of tonight, the, the point, the title of this sermon that we're going to talk about with dating is, is called this, Dating Seriously or Not at All. Dating Seriously or Not at All. So let me talk to some of um, some people in here who are dating or maybe like you're dating and you're both here, which is awesome, or you're dating and one of you's here or none of you are here and you hear it later on the podcast. Here, here's the deal. Understand this, and while you, oh, let me back up, turn to Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5. Understand how serious dating is, okay? And I'm 28, I've had different girlfriends or whatever, so, and some for a very short time, some for a very long time. I'm currently engaged, I'm so excited, um, but also, <clears throat> understand this. If you have been dating someone, and some of you already know this, if you've been dating someone for more than three or four months, okay, dating, not just friends or whatever you guys are doing, but if you have been dating for three or more months or four or more months, understand that no matter what, look right at me and then you can get back to turning, understand that no matter what happens in your relationship, you will remember that person for the rest of your life. No matter what happens, in this relationship, whether it works, whether it doesn't, if you have dated for longer than three to four months, you will remember this person for the rest of your life. I don't like using the term dating. I almost want to use a term like, I don't know, like imprinting. Like you remember when you're in grade school and you have the little clay and you imprint your hand. This is why I want to say that because when you imprint something, you leave a mark on it, right? You leave signs that you were there, right? That is exactly what you're doing to your significant other's soul right now. Because you're dating. That's what this is. That's what this means. It's not just, there is no such thing, according to the Bible, as just hanging out as a relationship that doesn't, or a friendship that doesn't impact us. This has impact. Because it's how God designed romantic relationships. And you see, the serious, scary, and beautiful, awesome, wonderful thing with dating is that at the center of dating is God. Dating is something that God takes very seriously. And we know this because romance, follow this, romance outlines the entire Bible. And you don't have to turn to any of these places, but just listen. In Genesis 1, God creates earth, right? And he creates earth to be the home of the first ever couple in Adam and Eve. In the middle of the Bible, in the Old Testament, God, who is the groom, pursues his bride, Israel. He calls Israel his bride all throughout the Old Testament. Not his people, not his country. He specifically calls them his bride. Listen to what God says about Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 16, he's talking to Israel, the country. When I passed by you again, I saw you. And behold, you were at the age and ready for love. And I spread my garment over you and covered your nakedness. And I made a vow. Listen to this. Think about marriage. And I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord. And you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and anointed you with oil. The only reason you think the Bible's boring is because you don't read it, okay? Verse 11, I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrist, hey, and a chain on your neck, and a beautiful crown on your head. Verse 13, 
Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was fine linen and silk and cloth. So this is how God sees Israel. This is, this is the most like, if you said this to someone, like the modern equivalent of this to someone at school, like the blushing and the horrible and the red face, like this is romantic language in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus has a different bride. It's not just Israel, it's the entire church. Listen to what Jesus says about the church in Revelation, in Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and, re- and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb of God has come, and His bride, the church, has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with, herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So in Revelation, at the end, God creates the new heavens and the new earth, not just as a display of His glory, but as the home of the final couple. Jesus the groom and his bride the church. You see, it's come full circle from Adam and Eve. Relationships cover the entirety of God's word. The binding nature of relationships is a theme in all of Scripture. Why are relationships all throughout Scripture? Why does God talk about relationships so much? Because God is at the center of them all. The place where this is most serious and most beautiful is in Ephesians 5. So Ephesians 5, look at 22 and 23. And don't focus so much on what's said at first. Focus on the second half, and you'll hear me emphasize. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So if you notice, in both these verses, Paul writes about relationships, and then he immediately ties it back to Jesus. Look again at the verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands, there's marriage, as to the Lord, tying it back to Jesus. For the husband is the head of the wife, there's marriage, as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. So you're about to see this pattern in Ephesians 5 where Paul brings up things about marriage, but then he says the reason marriage is this way is because Jesus is this way. Look at Ephesians 5, 24 and 25. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands. Husbands love your wives as Christ Love the church and gave himself up for her. Again, Paul is doing this. He's tying marriage back to Jesus over and over again. Husbands, fellas, you're supposed to do this. Why? Because Jesus is like this. Ladies, you're supposed to treat your husbands like this. Why? Because Jesus and the church is like this. Fellas, your model for how to love your wife is how Jesus loves the church. Ladies, your model for how you are to love your husband is the relationship between Jesus and the church. And then Paul slams this home. Look at Ephesians 5, 31-32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, 
And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, we've talked about this before. In 31, in a lot of your Bibles, verse 31 may be different. Like it may be kind of blocky or all caps or bigger or it may have a little footnote. It's because it's a quote from the Old Testament. Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and, fa- and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is from Genesis 2. God says this when he puts Adam and Eve together in Genesis 2. It's exactly what he says when Adam and Eve come together. This is the verse in the Bible that describes everything that marriage is. And what does Paul say about it in verse 32? I am speaking of Christ and the church. This is what, but this verse is what marriage is about. And Paul is saying, but here's what it's really about. Jesus' love for the church. This verse in Scripture that sums up everything a man and a woman have together is actually about Jesus' love for the church. Jesus' love for his people. Follow this. Get this into your brain. Jesus' love for the church is where God's idea for marriage comes from. Out of Jesus' love for the church, out of his willingness to sacrifice himself for her, God designed husbands with sacrificial love for their wives. Out of Jesus' humble submission to God in dying for his people, God designed women to thrive when they find a man who can lead them and submit to him in love. God didn't just think these things up, like this is the way you'll be, this is the way you'll be. He didn't just design you that way. Why did he design you that way? It's based on something. It's based on Jesus' love for his people. Out of Jesus' perfect, sacrificial love, God designed marriage with its perfect, sacrificial love. Marriage is really about Jesus and the church. So you see, the gospel isn't just this great model for marriage. The gospel is the reason marriage exists. The gospel is the thing that God saw and was so inspired by it that he created marriage. The gospel is the destination, and marriage is the road sign that points to the real thing. Look to this to see where this is. Look to marriage to see where the gospel is. Here's an example of this. God made the Israelites perform animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, right? These sacrifices were to eliminate their sin for that day. It would eliminate your sin for that day. The man, the representative of the family, would go into the temple, place his hand on the animal as a sign of transferring his sins to the animal. Then the animal would be killed in front of him as a symbol, as a way of showing this is what you deserve. In the New Testament, a different sacrifice is made. Jesus was sacrificed on the cross So instead of all your sins being symbolically transferred to an animal who was killed, 
all your sins were really transferred to Jesus' body, and he was killed. Listen to Hebrews 10.11. Every priest stood daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same animal sacrifices, which can never take away sin. These animal sacrifices could never actually take away sin. Because they're just a symbol. Verse 12 and 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for all sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. All your sins were really put on Jesus. It's not just a symbol anymore. It's the real thing. He's the real sacrifice. All the thousands of years of symbolic animal sacrifices were pointing to the fact that a real sacrifice was needed. Think about the difference for a second between a shadow and the real thing. A shadow reminds you of the real thing. A shadow might even look like a real thing. But when the real thing actually comes and you see the real thing, you forget all about the shadow. That's what Jesus did. That's why we don't sacrifice animals anymore. These sacrifices were shadows and symbols of the work that Jesus did. Now, what in the world does this have to do with dating? Marriage was invented by God as a shadow. The sacrificial love between two people is a symbol, a shadow, a pointer of His love for you. In the Old Testament, God was saying about the animal sacrifices, this will help you for now, but it's a shadow of what's really coming. Marriage is God's way of saying to the world, this love that you feel right now between each other, as awesome as it is, it's a shadow of the love I have for my people. Let me show you a little more like real life what this is. So, I'm getting married in 45 days. Not that I'm counting. Who cares, right? Super excited. She's the most beautiful girl on the planet. Um, thank you, Zach, for your little round of applause there. Um, but I'm also a pastor. So I've done two weddings already. I've married my brother and his wife, and then I've married Hayden and Katie Childry. Um, so, and, and some of you have either been to weddings before, or you've seen weddings on TV, and you're like, that'll be me someday. Maybe. I don't know. So, and you watch it, right? So you've, you know what I'm talking about. Follow this. It's going to blow your mind. It completely wrecked me the first time I understood this. Um, have you ever noticed that at a wedding, when it's time to do the vows, right? Everyone's just, like mom is a mess and everybody's just weeping. It's time for them to do the vows, right? Have you ever noticed that when it's time to do the vows, the couple that's getting married doesn't actually make the vows to each other? I, as the pastor asked the groom something to the effect of, do you pledge that you will love and honor and care for your wife? And the groom says, what does the groom say? The groom says, you would hope, right? The groom says, I do. But who asked him the question? Me. So he's not answering her. He's answering me. And the bride does the exact same thing. She's not talking to him. They're getting married to each other. She's not talking to him. She's talking to me. Their vows are not made to each other. Their vows are made to me. Why? 
Why in the world? You're marrying, you're not marrying me. Why wouldn't you make the vows to each other? Why make them to someone else? Why is it that in all biblical marriages, there has to be this third person at the altar, and he has to be there, or the marriage doesn't count? Because there was a third person at the altar when Adam and Eve were married at the first wedding. He ordained it. He brought the marriage together. It's God. And the vows are made to this third person instead of to each other to represent that fact in Christian marriage. It's a reminder. It's a symbol that the root of all marriage, it's made to God. The root of all marriage, it isn't primarily about you and your spouse. Let that sink in for a second. The root of marriage is not primarily the two people getting married. It's God. The vows are made in front of your friends and family to God. And it's a reminder that He is the ultimate inspiration for marriage. He is the overseer of it. Not the two people getting married. Weddings are about God. And that the love that those two people have for each other is a symbol, is a pointer to His love for them. All of marriage's adventure is just a shadow of the real adventure with Him. Marriage points to what the whole universe was created to explain. God's love for His people. And dating is where all of that starts. Now let me take a minute. Notes are here. I'm here. This is, and, and we got some different opinions in the room, I would wager. This is why the same-sex marriage issue is such a big deal. Because it's not just two people doing their thing. This marriage represents, is a pointer, is a road sign to the gospel. Imagine if you're traveling, we went to Winter Jam, right? We traveled to Atlanta. Imagine if you're traveling to Atlanta, a lot of teen drivers here, and you're freaking out, right, on 75 South or whatever, going into Atlanta, and someone takes a road sign to Atlanta, like Atlanta's that way, and they just go, whoop, and it points the wrong way. Chaos will ensue if you change the sign. Marriage is a sign pointing to the gospel. And if you change the sign, chaos will ensue. Do you follow me on this? This is why in the 60s there was such a tumult of craziness and the sexual revolution was happening. This is why it's no coincidence with the rise in transgender issues and same-sex marriage issues, which we're talking about in college every week. Do you, how many people in here are sick of looking at social media because all your parents are just talking about politics and everybody's upset all the time, right? The world is a mess and there's this great rise and change in sexuality because if you change the sign, chaos ensues. Marriage is a huge issue and dating is where all that starts. And like standing, let me put it like this, like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. My fiance went to the Grand Canyon last year and it was, the pictures were insane. Like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, 
Dating is full of beauty and possibility. And just like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, if you're stupid with it, it will end badly and you will get hurt. You follow me? There's such beauty here. But if you're stupid, it will hurt so badly. Thank you. It will hurt so badly because you're dealing with serious beauty in dating. This isn't one of those things where I'm like, if you're not a sophomore, but this is, I'm not going to give you an age gap. The reason middle schoolers aren't in here is because dating in middle school is the dumbest thing ever, right? Doesn't even make sense. Can't drive. What are you, you going to do? What do you do? That's why they're in there. You're in here because this is, and, and I'm not going to give you an age range. I, I need you to understand whether you're dating or not, that dating is serious. Find an example of dating in the Bible. The reason it's not in there is because there is no such thing as a casual relationship in Scripture. If you are dating, you need to, and if you're ready to date, you need to be ready to take it seriously. Dating is serious. It leads to marriage. It was designed based on Jesus loving and dying for his people. So what does serious dating look like? couple things. I'm going to wrap it up in one big point, and then I might have room at the end if we've got time. But here's the big thing. All right, fellas especially, but ladies, I really think you guys are overlooked here in this area. So let's just kind of get ready. We need to talk about physical stuff, okay? We need to talk about physical stuff in the context of a relationship. Because here's the issue, guys. It's everywhere. And I don't have to tell you that. You guys are way hipper and cooler than me. It's in your schools. It's on TV. It's online. And the abuse of it, the acting in it, is a prime sign that you are not treating dating with the gospel-centered seriousness that it deserves. Turn to Song of Solomon chapter 1. Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 17. Here, and, and we've gone over this one before, but I want to keep working with you in it. And, for, and let me just kind of, while you guys are doing this, for those of you who maybe have already crossed some of these lines, don't worry. Wait till the end, okay? Just hang with me. And for those of you who are single, and you're like, thanks for bringing that up, Ryan. Understand, single you will be dating you. Ask the people in here who are in relationships. Talk to Sam and Mara and Laura and some of these. When you're or when you are single, right, when you're single and then you start dating, there's not this like, I'm different now. Like, it doesn't happen. You're not like, I'm a real boy. You don't change. There is no, I'm glad you guys got the Pinocchio thing. I wrote that down. I'm really impressed with myself with that one. So there is no change. Single you will be dating you. So the things you put into your heart now are the things that will affect your significant other's soul later. Here we go, Song of Solomon 117. Um, so here is actually the closest thing we have in the Bible to an example of courtship, an example of dating. All right, listen to this. These two people are hanging out, they're cold chilling. This is what Solomon says The beams of our house are cedar. You guys following this? The beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. All right, uh, Tartar. Cedar. And pine, not a trick, are part, are, are, they're what? What's a cedar and what's pine? They're types of what? Trees. Nicely done, my theologian. They're types of trees, right? 
But so where they're, so follow me here, where they're hanging out, they're surrounded by trees, which means that they're where? They're out, specifically, they're outside. I know some of you are like, in the woods. Okay, thank you. <laughs> they're outside though, right? That's okay. We'll go to the woods. We'll get there in a minute. Um, they're outside. They're around other people. Now follow me, team. They're not in the basement on the couch with the lights off, guys. They're not in some theater parking lot. They're not, they're not out by themselves, secluded and alone. Now, the whole point here is not that they're outside in the woods. You don't have to go outside all the, all the time. We go hiking again. Like You don't have to keep doing that, okay? There's nothing wrong with hiking. My fiance would, she would never, she would kill me. She'd be like, okay, we'll go. Um, if they're bears, she'll go, she'll run from the, anyway, we'll get there later. The point is not their location, all right? The point is not their location. The point is the location of their hearts. Do you follow me? The point is not their location. It's the location of their hearts. They're going outside. Fellas, I expect you to lead on this. They're making a conscious, physical effort to preserve their bodies, to stay out of that situation, and save their bodies and souls for the right place at the right time. The right place and the right time. When fire is kept in the right place, the fireplace, it can burn as bright as you want, as long as you want. But when fire gets out of the fireplace, it destroys. Fire is good. Warmth and light come from it when it's in the right place. But when it's removed from the right place, it can only take. This is the answer to the question. I'm not trying to bash. This is the answer to the question of, well, what does it matter? Like, we're married, we're not married, it's still sex. What if I went over to your house and pulled a burning log out of your fireplace and dropped it on your kitchen table? What does it matter? The fireplace, the kitchen, it's still fire. It's the same thing. Do you see that? It's the exact same thing. And to do this, fire is designed to burn and to warm. Sex is designed to have a huge role in your relationship. To take you, to, to bond you with a person and to take yourself to heights and depths with them that no other person in your life knows about. And to do this outside the bonds of marriage is like taking fire outside of the fireplace. It will do what it's designed to do. It will take over. This is why you have to flee from this right now. You have to calm that desire. In Proverbs, you don't have to turn there unless you want to. In Proverbs 5, 8, Solomon is talking to, or the writer of the proverb is talking to men in regards to lust. And it says, do not go near the door of her house. Don't even get close. If you have to ask where's the line, you're asking the wrong question. In Genesis, you know the story with Genesis with Joseph, the Technicolor Dreamcoat, this guy, the dreamer, right? He is tempted by Potiphar's wife. This is Joseph. This is the spiritual giant. And he doesn't stand there when he's tempted and like, I'm a man of God. I, no, idiot. He just leaves. He gets out. 
This is what you have to do. Don't think you're some whatever compared to Joseph. Prove that you are like Joseph and get out of that situation. Proverbs 6, 27 and 28 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and not burn his clothes? Or can he walk on hot coals and not burn his feet? Of course not. Of course he can't do it. If he does those things, it's going to happen. He's going to get burned. Guys, Proverbs 6 is about lust. If he does these things, he's going to get burned. And in the same way, Matt Chandler says it so well. Guys, movie night in the basement is never going to end with a discussion about cinematography. If you go down there, if you open that website, if you park your car there, it will happen. Guys, I, I beg you. Keep your phone in the kitchen at night. Stay out of the basement. Fill your life with Jesus and His words so that sin cannot take root. Or you will end up like the man in Proverbs 5, 13 and 14. And he says this, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to hear them. I am at the brink of utter ruin. And he's talking about lust. And some of you may say, well, I mean, I, I do these things. I'm not, I'm not on the brink of destruction. I feel fine. He's not talking about your body. He's talking about your soul. When I was in college, um, I met a girl my sophomore year, and we fell very much in love. Um, and I was not a Christian, and I led her past where we were going to go. Um, we crossed physical territory way deep. And it took over like it was supposed to. And I wanted more. And I wanted more. And eventually, we would be at a football game together. Or going on a walk. And instead of focusing on her hand that I was holding, or listening to her speak to me, all that was going on in my head was, when are we going to get back to her place? When are we going to go back to my place? And over time, every memory we could have made, every chance we had to go do something fun that would grow our souls, I only wanted physical. And looking back, I don't remember the football game or what we talked about in the walk that we went on or the meals at her parents' house or the trips that we went. I only remember that I didn't want to wait. And this happened with more than one person. I was, verse 14. And so when Kristen, and this is where you have to understand the impact this has on your soul in the future. When I met Kristen, my soul was on the brink of ruin. And instead of helping Kristen see the beauty that comes from following Christ and waiting, she has to spend extra time pulling me out of this. I should be leading her, and I can't. My soul is crippled with lust. She has to carry me. My fiancé has to carry me. Listen to the Bible. It's good to have physical desire. You were built for that. But what's not good is the sinful desire that says, I don't want to wait. I don't love your plan. I don't trust your design for me. I don't trust you, God. I don't believe you, and I'm not going to wait. Fellas, hear me. If you say you would die for her, but you won't die to yourself for her, you're lying. 
Ladies, same thing. If you say you would die for her, but you won't die to yourself for her, you're lying. Some of you, your souls are like mine. Asking you to reject lust or to put pornography up is like asking a cripple to walk. It's impossible. Thank God that Jesus heals cripples all over the New Testament. He can bring your crippled, lustful heart back into normal function again, like He's doing with me through Kristen, slowly. He can tame those desires. He can teach you the right way to have that desire, but to not let sin own it. And some of you have already crossed this line long ago, and you're so deep in sin that you're just buried. Know this, as deep as you're buried, His love goes deeper still. You can be forgiven and you can have redemption. Your freedom from the chains of lust can start today, and it's a slow process for some of us. It's not like Paul, where you're not going to get knocked out of your Honda and, and converted on the spot, probably. It's a slow process, but my gosh, guys, what a better... We're talking about dating. Some of you, it's, this is the most important thing in your life. What a better time to tell the Lord Jesus, this is the most important thing to me in my life, and I'm giving it to you. He has a good design for dating. He's a good father. Learn to trust him. Think about trusting something. You don't just, if you're scared and you have to trust the bridge, you, you're probably not going to just jump on it. You will slowly work your way out. This is what trusting the Lord is like. Begin to slowly trust him with dating. Let's pray.